This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. BFM 89.9, good morning. You are listening to The Morning Run. It's 6am on Wednesday, the 25th of May. I'm Shazana Mokdar in studio today with Kusu Chuang and Tan Chen Lee. Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> Can I share a fun fact this yeah, morning? Yeah, sure. Please do. This date, 25th of May, is also the date of Oprah Winfrey's last talk show episode back in 2011 for all those who still remember Oprah Winfrey in her heyday of her afternoon talk shows. Just Yeah. She she was very good, right? She used to extract the best emotion from the people and the guests. She Mm. had a way with conversation and, you know, just managing to create those kinds of discussions that previously weren't had. Is she a role model for you, Charles? Not exactly, but I do remember growing up watching a lot of her uh, segments for sure. I think my, I think moms, <laughs> I think moms and grandmoms were really big fans of her. I never um, really watched her because there was just too many women crying at the time. I'm sure <laughs> you were not in touch with your feminine side way back no. then. Today I'm, you're a lot more, I think, well-rounded. <laughs> well, well-rounded. Oh, what a word! This and is, I'm looking this, at it's a shape. This of. is a Charles <laughs> insultment. Not you know true. What you know what's an insultment? It's like an insult and a compliment wrapped into one. <laughs> Well, as that fine Malay saying goes, siapa makan cili, dia terasa pedas, you know? So, but let's talk about what we have lined up on the show today. We have a lot of interesting conversations lined up. Beginning at 7.15, we're discussing whether GLC bailouts are ever justified. And this is, of course, on the back of rumours that the government could be bailing out beleaguered oil and gas firm Sapura Energy. We'll have independent writer P. Gunasegaram on the line with us to share his thoughts. And then at 7.30, the 25th of May marks Africa Day, the date on which the Organization of African Unity, now known as the African Union, was founded in 1963. And we speak to Her Excellency Dr. Hajara Ibrahim Salim, High Commissioner of Nigeria to Malaysia on the economic prospects and potential of the African continent. Yep, then 7.45, it's the chicken shortage, which is dominated headlines this week. We speak to the food policy expert Dr. Shafiq Siddiq of UPM on the underlying factors of the crisis and the government's response. And we will cap this off with a summary of highlights of US President Joe Biden's visit to South Korea and Japan, uh, including his potentially incendiary remarks on Taiwan. We're going to be speaking to William Pezek, a Tokyo-based journalist. That's happening after the breakfast grill. We'll have all this and more today on The Morning Run, so you're going to want to stay with us, BFM 89.9. That was Steve Miller with Abracadabra. Before that, Barbara Lynn with You Don't Sleep at Night, dedicated to all the nocturnal creatures out <laughs> there. I'm Shazana Mokhtar in studio with Kusu Chuang and Tan Chen Li. We are The Morning Run, 6.09 a.m. on Wednesday, the 25th of May. We are starting our morning reflections with a discussion on time management, or maybe it's more accurate to say the lack of time management, because we're looking at an article from the Financial Times titled The Joy of Living off the clock by Enuma Okoro. So what is she advocating for? Remember those times when we were in our childhood when we were not restricted by time? Of course, you know, your mothers would try to tell you, time to sleep, time to play, time to study. But other than that, we have very little um, notion of time and we just play and do or, or anything that you want to do whenever you want. Remember yeah. those times? That's my son right now. <laughs> <laughs> He's got this bunch of homework which he hasn't touched in weeks, right? His exam is next week. He's got no idea, right? He's, are you my son? (laughs) (laughs) 
he's got no idea of time. Seriously, right? Wake up in the morning. He's got school in like half an hour, right? He's just ambling from back and forth to the toilet. He's like, <laughs> as if he's got all the time in the world. I'm like, are you my son? Does he take after you? No. <laughs> are you sure, Sean? <laughs> <laughs> so, you, the, the children are like that, right? And children then, are like that. Yeah, but then, as adults, you know, do you sometimes wish that? I mean, or it depends on personality as well, right? Are we the type or, or, over here in this room that wants to have control over every single hour of your time throughout the day? Or are you the type who wants to live off the clock? Are you and, talking about shouting or...? Well, and you? <laughs> no, 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 not really. I, I, I think I'm in between, lah. You know, when when needs must, we've got to sort our lives out. You know, work needs to be done. Food has to be on the table. But then, when those things are kind of like achieved, then you just you know sort yourself out and have a bit of fun. But so I went to boarding school, yeah, uh, for when I was sixteen and seventeen, and I feel that in in a way that time really kind of hammered into me this whole idea of structure and time management because lives, our lives there were very regimented. You know, we had a specific time that we could eat, a specific time where we had to be in school, a specific time that's allocated for study. Um, so in, in that sense, I feel that moving forward from my life there, it, I have been more partial to being a lot more scheduled in how I do things, yeah? Yeah, now that you mentioned your boarding house experience, the same for me. When I went to school in Australia, right, it was a, it was a Christian school, although I I'm not Christian, right? And there was this guy, Brother Tony. He's only about, he was quite a short guy. He had this like severe goatee, always used to smoke, very serious. And his favorite mantra was highly organized, highly efficient. And he just used to chant that all the time because he was always into efficiency, right? That kind of like, changed me. Like, I was about 17 at the time. I went from being this, this quite lackadaisical chap. Like to, your son? <laughs> like my son, yes. And, and then I became highly organized, highly efficient. <laughs> you know? Well, brother. As you're puffing a cigarette, you know, yeah. Brother Tony, obviously you've left a really strong imprint on Chuang. Yes. Um, but, but another thing that I've been thinking is because we're sometimes hammered in with the idea of you only have so much time in a day, you know. Mm. There's no time to squander. We only have 24 hours a day and that's supposed to be enough time for you to do everything that needs to be done. Um, so sometimes the idea of unstructured time just feels like an impossible dream. <laughs> but I think the articles that talk about being liberated from this rigid schedule could allow ideas and creativity and relationship to flourish. What do yeah, you guys I, think? Yeah, I'm going about 80 because back in the day, like maybe as, as recently as maybe 10 years ago, I used to fill my calendar right with appointments and meetings. I used to be this really super efficient alpha guy, right? Like 12 meetings in one day. He used to pack it in, right? 18 hour days, boof, right? Then I realized time was moving so fast and you were, even though you were doing so much, you, were, you achieved nothing. Mm. So then I just said, this is ridiculous, right? I just, then I just cleared my calendar. Now I just have two meetings in the day maximum, one in the morning, one in the afternoon. And I feel that the, the, the days last longer. Life is much more enriching. I actually think that um, I, I think I tend to take things very slowly these days, if I can. Uh, and I think that that actually do, it actually does give me the flexibility of uh, having more creativity because I have a lot of time to appreciate things in around me. And then sometimes you can be, I mean, in terms of creativity, you can be inspired by looking at a part of plan that's like sitting in front of you, right? Or looking at the cloud or something. And then, you know, you could be thinking about how to frame that picture, you know. So I actually agree with this article that says that sometimes having all this, you know, when you free yourself from all these um, rigid schedules, you actually have more time to roam. You, you allow your brain to, to If you're allowed free. to, if you have that capacity. A if lot you of people do. that don't have that, right? But if you do, it's a luxury. It's amazing. Yeah, I guess, uh, you know, for maybe the older people or, you know, 
people who are actually retire from work, you know, do you have more of that luxury? So I guess the trick really is to find that balance, yeah, because sometimes you only realize the luxury of unstructured time when you are also bounded by structured time. So you can see the juxtaposition of the two. Um, but tell us what you think, you know, how do you view unstructured time? Does that help you with your creativity? Or are you more of a rigid schedule, scheduler planner type person? You can WhatsApp us at 018-789-8899 or tweet us at BFM Radio. We'd love to hear your thoughts. It's 6.14 in the morning. We're heading into some messages. And when we come back, we'll ask you, have you been receiving more cold calls lately? Stay tuned to BFM 89.9. That was Showdown by the Electric Light Orchestra. You're listening to The Morning Run. It's 6.19 in the morning on Wednesday, the 25th of May. I'm Shazana with Chuang and Chen Li. Now, last week, the big headline in the news was the alleged leak of personal data from government agencies, including details such as contact numbers. And so there were some who reported a higher incidence of cold calls after this story was reported. Did you find that was the case for you? Oh, absolutely. Whenever I mean, for me, after I bought my um, new apartment, I have received pretty much every day a cold call from a property agent asking me if I want to rent or sell my property without fail. I don't, <laughs> and I only found out that someone actually, some agency actually leaked the entire list of owners' uh, contacts to these property agents, and that's why they've been calling me. So just to clarify, this is unrelated to the data leak that's of agencies, yes. but the point is that cold calls have been on the increase, whether or not because of this leak or any other type of information sharing between, between companies, yes. as in your case. Yes. And it feels a little bit worse because we have been so used to staying at home for the past two years. And then, you know, uh, and then suddenly, you know, we have been having enjoying all this peace at home. And suddenly, you know, people have been calling you and disrupting your life at home. It feels more intrusive. And that's what the article is talking about also. Yeah, um, I'm quite intrigued by how people react to cold calls. Um, you know when you get a cold call and, and, and people with different personalities will react to those cold calls in very different ways. Some people are very polite. Oh, no, sorry, thank you. I'm not too keen right now. Thank you. Too. Right? And then there's the kind like me who are completely merciless, right? I just put the phone down. <laughs> oh, you're one of those I people. I hate those. The things I used to do that, I used to be... I, I worked as a telemarketer for one week, right? One at week. A, one week. <laughs> that was how long hotel, it last. At a hotel timeshare in Penang because I needed to make, I was about you know, 21 at the time. It's very hard work. You know, when you make a cold call, you get people like me, right? <laughs> Who like, don't give you any time of day. And to convert a sale on the, on the phone is very hard. If you can do that from a sales perspective, you know, it's a skill to have, right? But um, yeah, so then my wife is very polite. Like, she's like, oh no, thank you. It's okay. Sorry, you know, and she, she, you know, she's quite empathetic in that respect. I'm merciless, man. <laughs> well, good that you admit it on there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I think I am also the type that is a little bit impatient. I'll be like, no, thank you. And then I'll just close down the phone if I could. Uh, a little bit bad. But um, I also draw to, I want to draw to one point that is mentioned in the article here that talks about how younger people prefer to text or email rather than to make a phone call, uh, which I also kind of wonder because I've had a similar... That's social media for you, Ula. I guess it so. Has, yeah, it has, 
it has affected the ability to socialize and including the, the art of conversation. To be honest, though, I find that if I were cold WhatsApp message, for example, I received that or cold SMS, I find it even worse than if they called me. I would much prefer they call me and try to establish, I suppose, you know, even as fake as it is, some sort of genuine connection rather than just SMS me, oh, hey, we have this property. Do you want to take a look? I find that a lot more offensive, to be honest. But the thing is, they don't, right? And then the worst thing is they call you up and then they and they mangle your name, right? That's the oh, worst. Yes. Or, or or they speak in a different language, like oh, say, yes. you know, like the, like 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 say like Mandarin, right? <laughs> I don't know. I just I must I just English, please. And I just no, I don't even say please. I just say English, and then they can't speak English. So then they <laughs> they get so intimidated they put the phone down. Do you know what I mean, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm just I'm just terrible. Man. I mean, I really hope that that these people go through training and that they, they have simulations they of people like you, they Chuang, don't. because I, I feel I in a way I try to look um, I try to put myself in their shoes because as you said, it's such a difficult job. It's really not easy. It's very humbling when you receive rejections day after day, um, and so I really wonder the kind of um, I guess mental <laughs> mental fortitude that's required to be able to do this job day in day out. So, so I, I was in this hotel, right? Uh, I think it was uh, Park Royal Hotel. That's right in Penang. And then the most effective salesperson there was this. Well, let's just let's just call her a, a, a woman of advanced years, right? Um, which is kind of like my time now, my age. Now, right? So, but she she was hunched in the corner, very quiet, and she never used to. You could never hear her speaking. But every day, without fail, she she would close like ten, twenty times shares, right? And and you know you get paid. So she was very very successful. But I guess the way she approached those calls was very nice and personable because she was very low, you know, she was very quiet, but she was she was very effective. Hmm. Uh, and, and I think that's 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 a you that's know, very interesting. Yeah, that's quite a good hint. I suppose um, the job of these cold callers is made worse now with all the scam calls out there as mm, well. Yes. I'm sure people are doubly wary of the phone ringing anytime. Is it like that scam from LHDN, uh, pretending to be LHDN, right. or is it a cold caller? Both are kind of in the same in the same region now. But tell us what you think. How do you deal with cold calls? Uh, what's your tactic in answering these kinds of uh, invitations or requests? You can WhatsApp us zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine or tweet us at BFM Radio. We're heading into the 6.30 a.m. News Bulletin. We'll be back after that with a look at global headlines, taking you to the news, REM, BFM 89.9. That was Joss Stone with Fell in Love with a Boy. You're listening to The Morning Run. It's 6.40 a.m. on Wednesday, the 25th of May. I'm Shazana with Chuang and Chen Li. It's that time of morning where we take a look at what's making headlines around the world. Who'd like to start with what's caught their eye this morning? Better trivia, yesterday. Today was the was the day when New York removed its last public payphone from the from its home on Seventh Avenue and West Fiftieth. It's it's headed to the Museum of the City of New York, right? Wow! <laughs> it's going to be like an, a relic of the past. I don't know how many of you guys can remember ever using a payphone. I do. My do boarding school days. I remember the long queues in front of the payphone as each one decided, you know, waited their turn to call their boyfriends or girlfriends or parents, <laughs> whoever it was. Yeah. Um, but yeah, those are are some. The bygone days, the days yeah, of the payphone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, man. Like, okay, well, anyway. Time flies, right? The iPod is gone. The payphone in New York is gone. Is gone. Yeah. What else is the next to go from what we used to know about our lives? <laughs> yes, and not talking about what's going off uh, from our life, but we're talking about India today because India 
is going to restrict sugar exports as another act of protectionism after banning wheat sales just over a week ago. Um, so you can see all these things that's happening. You have India banning wheat and sugar now, and then we have Indonesia. Well, they were a little bit flip-flopping on palm oil, and then we have Malaysia as well on chicken exports. So a lot of countries are actually going slowly into all this food protectionism for their own country or domestic consumption. It just shows how tight supplies are at the moment. I mean, this isn't the first time that we've seen countries take protection measures. Back in 2008, there was the rice and wheat shortage then, which saw a whole host of countries also impose export bans. We're just seeing a repeat of things and how governments res- uh, respond to this. It's going to really determine how long these kinds of bans uh, stay in place. Yeah, it's called deglobalization, just like how we're talking about deconglomerization. Remember, uh, all these uh, demerges going on. Um, I want to talk about something that's also going extinct, uh, just like the payphone. Business cards are going extinct. Um, when is the last time you guys gave or received a business card? Last Friday, <laughs> a yeah, few really? weeks ago. Yes. I, I've been in meetings now. Nobody ever gives a, a, pay, a business card. Anymore. I haven't printed one for myself uh, just... on my company for like, f- I don't know, four years, five years. Do you just show them a QR code now? Yeah. On WhatsApp, right? You can actually have a, produce a QR code for yourself and you can just scan it and people have your number straight away. Very, oh, yeah, very yeah, useful, yeah, yeah. I would have yeah, to say. Much easier, much easier. Much easier indeed, and save the environment and not having to print more cards, you know. Well, if you really wanted to save the environment, you'd get rid of your car, don't use a smartphone, and don't fly anywhere. That's, okay. That, that's, that's 45% of your carbon footprint right there. So <laughs> you ain't going to save the world by not like, giving out name cards, let's be honest. <laughs> right. All right, so business cards on the outs. Uh, another thing that's on the outs is Airbnb in China. So this came out a couple of days ago, but I do think it's worth mentioning that Airbnb is uh, going to withdraw from China because lockdowns at the moment there just don't make this business feasible. Um, it's not too big of a blow for Airbnb. China sales apparently only make up about 1% of their revenue. Uh, But still, the fact that this big international, um, you know, home sharing platform is leaving China, that's a pretty um, monumental move in a way. China used to be the big market for growth, but now they're leaving it. Yeah. What yeah. does that say? Uh, I don't know. Yeah. May- maybe regulations. I don't know. Maybe maybe just making a strategic decision to focus on core markets, you know. But I think stuff. Chinese uh, domestic market only constitute 1% of Airbnb uh, sales. So I guess it's just, you know, something that they don't want to pay attention to. But that also opens up a lot of opportunity for a uh, domestic Chinese uh, player in terms of this field. So, you know, we never know how this will play out. Maybe there will be another hospitality giant that springs up from China and going listing somewhere, you know? Watch that yeah, space. Talk about China, right? A friend of mine who just came back from business, doing business in China, uh, he said that there's no more cash in China. It's all WeChat, right? Even the beggars are taking wow. WeChat. Really? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's, it's, it's serious, right? So that, that made me think of this story from MasterCard. Because MasterCard is trialing a new payment system whereby you pay for stuff with just a scan of your face. Oh, no, that's interesting. Ooh. Yeah. So ooh. so if, you, if you're tired of standing in the queue behind a whole bunch of people, you just, you know, get your thing and then you just scan your face and off you go. Bob's your uncle. Interesting. You know, there's that, um, some people say it's probably apocryphal or it's, you know, just a, a saying that you've got seven people, seven doppelgangers in the world. Mm. Seven. That's right. I read so, about that. That's so right, how yeah. would that, if they're using your face to access your bank account, do those well, seven people is, have, well, they, those well, seven people have problems. Well, that's the thing. Um, male Chinese guys with a face like mine, 
There's 1.4 billion of us. <laughs> <laughs> you know how much Sally people say, oh, all Chinese people look the same. Well, you know, partly true. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yes. Okay. And there's to look out. In terms of hospitality and things that's going out, there's one in uh, Hong Kong that is not going out. It's actually uh, mandatory hotel quarantine requirements because, I mean, Carrie Lum is actually exiting. She's leaving soon. But then she said this is not going to change even until the end of June. Uh, although, yes, this is something that is a bit uh, depressing for uh, people going to the, the, the city or the country, also the city in the ways. And, but it has also sent the stock price hung sing down a little bit yesterday when she said this. All right. Yes. So things that are in and out this morning. It's 6.45 in the morning. We're heading into some messages. And when we come back, we'll continue our discussion of headlines, but this time looking from the local angle. Stay tuned, BFM 89.9. That was the evergreen Billy Joel with Only the Good Die Young. You're listening to The Morning Run with Shazana Chuang and Chen Li. Six. 50 a.m. on Wednesday, the 25th of May. We are looking through the local newspapers and portals for the top headlines of the morning. Yeah, well, you know, at the risk of sounding macabre, we're talking about the good dying young and the good dying old. A chap named a police, uh, well, not a chap, a policeman uh, named Kenneth James Woodworth. This story from the Malaysian uh, Insight. 89 years old, passed away in PJ on Sunday. Uh, He was the guy who, the cop at the time, who arrested uh, Botak Chin. Remember, you guys are made young to remember, but 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 our chain was just notorious criminal. Uh, was I think was a, <laughs> partly a communist as well. Back in the yeah, 70s. In so the it 70s. was before our time. Definitely Chile, before. But I think the name Botachin is very, how to say, it's quite legendary there, yeah? I feel like when you think of uh, gangsters or Malaysian gangsters or, you know, Botachin, it kind of ranks up there in the list. Okay. Well, the thing is Botachin isn't really Botach. He's got a full head of hair. It depends on which time of the photograph <laughs> that you're actually looking look, at. He, yeah, but he's a bad, he looks like a baddie, man. He looks like a Bruce Lee, like, like a bad guy, right? Mm. Yeah. <laughs> okay, and on my end, have you guys taken any Grab rides recently? No, they're terrible. The Grab service is horrible now. What the? Why? Very expensive, <laughs> yeah. very bereft of cars, and prone to cancellations at the last minute. Exactly, I and you know why that. that is happening? It's because there's a shortage of drivers, and I think Grab is reporting that they see the platform is seeing less than 70% of what it was pre-pandemic, because I think a lot of uh, drivers these days, I mean, they were before, pre- uh, during pandemic, they just decided to uh, put things on hold, I guess, for their operation. And then they haven't really joined back the, the pool of Grab drivers yet. And that's why you're seeing all these things, and as well as price search for your Grab rides. That could be partly the reason why the Grab shares in the US has dropped from 18 bucks at its peak to not 2 bucks 55 A friend of mine who runs a manufacturing business, he likens Grab to AirAsia in the sense that they have... Um, they have, they have they have basically forsaken their customer promise. The, the premise on which they made their success, which is, for example, for AirAsia, low, low, uh, cheap, cheap ticket prices, and with Grab, like accessible uh, uh, transport, they've they've just forsaken those promises. They've lost their brand values, in other words. Well, I would I would just point out that I think Grab's platform is different in the sense that it's relying on the gig economy. It's relying on the availability of these freelance or you know not not full time employees of Grab. These are people who have their own lives, who have their own schedules. That was what Grab was promising these drivers in the sense that you get to determine your work schedule. So, of course, their business is going to be subject to the vagaries of what's happening to other people's lives. So I think we're seeing that. Well, part of the reason Grab has gotten so many breakbacks is because of the way they treat their drivers, which is to say, not well at all. 
right? Mm. And basically, these are the guys who made you rich in the first place, but you never took care of them. So a lot of factors kind of uh, coming up for Grab at the moment, and we'll see how this all plays out. I think the issue of Grab and traffic jams and just uh, traffic back in KL mm. in general has been a real hot topic among the yes. public at the moment. And the price hike, because I think the usual maybe like a 10 ringgit right might cost you double or triple. I think in Grab's statement, they have come out to say there has been no hike in, that, that's hike right. in prices. It's really just because Supply of a shortage demand. of drivers and the fact that they're stuck in traffic as well, so they can't turn over their rides as much. But, uh, you yeah. know, We'll yeah. see how this plays out. Mm-hmm. Right. Chuan, very skeptical. <laughs> very skeptical. But okay, what other stories have caught your eye this morning? This blockbuster, again from the Malaysian Insight, a former diplomat and his son. So this diplomat is 78 years old. His son is 53 years old. They have basically been growing cannabis, ganja, on their <laughs> estates in Kampung Samsan, Janabite. 3.2 hectares of land, 102 ganja trees. The biggest in the country uh, since uh, being, a, you know, so obviously they've been arrested. Um, that I mean, the smell would have been would have wafted for miles, man. <laughs> Do you know what I mean, right? How can you get away with that agenda, bite, man? I think the issue of cannabis, marijuana, has really been in the headlines. There have been a lot of calls um, from for legalization for for yeah. legalization or decriminalization at the very least. Um, given the fact that uh, marijuana is known to have medical uses, as acknowledged by the WHO, the Even government Sadek is on board with like you know decriminalization of cannabis. Yeah, yeah, the government has. Ex- expressed openness to conducting um, uh, medical trials on on the efficacy of of cannabis. So we'll see where this discussion goes. It's definitely something that's percolating among policymakers. How soon we'll actually see changes, that's a different matter altogether. I think it was legalized in Thailand, and it's definitely legalized in America. A friend of mine who went to Vegas on a business trip a couple of years ago, he said that from the airport to the hotel room, to the public toilets, to the restaurants and the meeting rooms, the smell of ganja is everywhere in Las Vegas. And I mean, that's incredible, man. And it's quite a lucrative business, I have to it's say. It's very lucrative. Yeah, each, each ganja plant actually priced at 600 ringgit, which is, I suppose, quite a lot. One right? plant? The whole plant? One plant, as per what is reported of by a nation. Uh, a star, star. Sorry, you're saying? The size of the plant or just one branch? I... Well, it only says each ganja plant was priced at 600 ringgit. I'm not sure the size of the plant. It didn't say the dimension of, of the plant. Yeah, because it can get quite big, right? And many, many boughs and branches. Well, a lot of discussions there. I think, as you said, Chuang Thailand so far is the only one that's actually decriminalized marijuana. Um, I think there are lots of uh, ways we can spin this. Uh, story. Uh, But we'll be keeping an eye on developments there. It's uh, coming up to 6.56 in the morning. We're heading into the 7am news bulletin. We'll be back after that with a look at how global markets closed overnight. But to take you to the news, we've got Lenny Kravitz with It Ain't Over Till It's Over. The morning run's not over. Stay tuned. BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.